listening to episode 251 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we momentarily step away from our discussion of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse to give us a chance to break down the television event of the year, Harry and Meghan's wedding. So what'd you think, Wayne? Did you say yes to the dress? Uh, I still haven't seen the dress. What? <laughs> Watch that. Oh, my God. I don't care. Oh, yeah, I, I, my wife, I, I, I think, look. liked it. So I'll say yes. So I think my wife liked the dress. She recorded all five hours of that. So I just have to wait like two weeks before I can delete that. Okay. Well, the second dress was even better. And the first dress was pretty great. I, second I know one. I can't, I, what she, yeah. What, she, she, when when they, she changed at halftime between uh, scenes? She did. They, they left in a blue 1968 Jaguar E-type. Nice. Oh, my God. It, it was like James Bond and a Bond girl getting in. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, is there a hotter car? I don't think so. But anyway. James Bond right, with I, a curly-haired ginger. <laughs> right. So anyway, all right. Just kidding, you guys. We are going to talk about Dollhouse. <laughs> but and if you were actually worried we were going to talk about the royal wedding, then then you you don't know us very well. I was going to say. So, all right. Well, anyway, speaking of knowing us well, send us an email, sci fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab if you want to go that way. Record your own audio clip, send us the MP3, tweet us at sci fi TV rewatch, or just join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. So, uh, just one little piece of news. And Fred, at first I was thinking he posted it on Facebook, but he had sent it to me in a Facebook message. But it was a link, and I, I've since put it up on the Facebook group. A video made by Eliza Dushku. It's Facebook Live, and it's regarding the independent biopic that she and her brother have been working on for the past decade. And it's a look at the life and work of controversial photographer Robert Maplethorpe. Matt Smith, a.k.a. the 11th Doctor and Prince Philip in Netflix's The Crown. See how I worked that royal yeah, thing in there? I see that. He plays Maplethorpe in a film that debuted recently at the Tribeca Film Festival. And it looks like the film's got an early 2019 release. But for for more information, check out Fred's posting on the Facebook group. It's a Facebook Live. It's about close to 20 minutes long, but it's Eliza Dushku talking. It's, It's really cool. Cool. Now, are you familiar with Maplethorpe? Uh, no, I, I just remember when I was, I guess, probably in high school, right, in the 80s, that there was, like, some big deal because he had gotten funded from the National Endowment of the Arts, and there were people were all up in arms because he had, like, images of guys, you know, naked together and stuff like that. I, I think this is my, you know, high school memory trying to take place. And, and then the David Letterman show did this bit called these – uh, the the Maplethorpe photos and they you know Paul Sherry be like those crazy, crazy wacky crazy Maplethorpe photos yeah, so I kind of so. whenever I hear I think that but so yeah, so oh, I, cool. I, I don't really I don't really yeah you know, like I didn't ever see like what the photos actually looked like except for the ones you probably mm-hmm. saw on Letterman. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. In retrospect, they don't seem as controversial. Now, again, I certainly haven't seen his entire body of work. And, and there are some that I think certainly remain controversial. But they're, they're pretty stunning photos. So anyway, check out uh, Eliza Dushku's Facebook Live video talking about the project. And it should be, as we said, 
coming to cinemas, I assume, in 2014. All right, what do you got for a tip of the week this time? So my tip of the week would be the timeless double feature season, potentially series ending uh, episodes. And, uh, you know, again, uh, oh, first of all, I mean, like, they were awesome. Like, the the, the ending was, was incredible. But both of the episodes that they had were really, really well done. Um, classic kind of... Great pacing, lots of action, good character development, all kinds of conflict between the characters, all this stuff going on, betrayals, everything. Um, you know, just really, just really good, solid uh, writing and directing and acting going on. You know, there's really, you look at it, I'm not going to say flawless, but I'm just, you know, they just do so many things really well. But uh, I still despair for its uh, continuance, though. They, you know, I think they did a good job of ending on something that, if they get renewed, like obviously they they're really going to go to a, a great new place. But if they don't get renewed, we can still kind of think that there's. I guess there's not really any kind of closure going on here, but it's just they at least they would have gone out strong. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I thought it was outstanding. And I suppose it's good news that NBC has not said anything one way or the other. So there's still a chance. We found out today that The Expanse, it appears, is getting picked up by Amazon. It's not definite yet, but but it does appear that that is a good shot. But yeah, I mean, just timeless. The characters are just so great. I, 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 I Yeah, as you said, I mean, despair would be a word that I would consider as one of my feelings. Yeah. So, all right, well, I'm going to go with a 2014 film called The Scribbler. And why that popped into my mind, I guess, is watching that Eliza Dushku video about her project because she doesn't act in it. She's a producer. And The Scribbler is something, again, that I, I'm not even sure how I stumbled across it, but it stars Arrows, Katie Cassidy, as a young woman battling multiple personalities through the use of this machine and procedure called the Siamese burn. Mm. It's very dark, very mysterious, somewhat disturbing, but difficult to stop watching. And it also features Katie Cassidy's. You're going to definitely have difficulty. Stop watching it. Well, it also features Eliza Dushku. Oh, well, there you go. Michelle Trachtenberg, who we know from Buffy. Uh, Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos and Gina Gershon from arguably one of the greatest films of the 90s, Showgirls. So (laughs) it it is a classic for all times. It is. And it's based on a graphic novel of the same name. So it's only an hour and a half. If uh, you like weird and and look, Katie Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Eliza Dushku, Gina Gershon, come on give it a shot so all right so let's talk some dollhouse this is episode nine of season two entitled stop loss written by andrew chambliss who wrote 205 the public eye 207 meet jane doe with marissa tancherone and jed whedon also wrote 109 spy in the house of love and directed by felix alcala who directed 108 needs This one aired December 18th, 2009, and it was the first episode of The Evening, which ends up being followed by next week's offering, The Attic. So uh, right off the bat, what'd you think? 
it was yeah really good um you know like of, of course I, I i liked i liked all of them um i'm trying to think specifically kind of what stuck out for me i guess you know if nothing else the extremely shocking ending uh that we get here is just a uh, big old slap in the face but i think how they built up to that and i, I you know really i think what kind of stood out front and center is um, DeWitt's kind of free fall. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we've seen lots of facets of Adele DeWitt. We, we've seen her develop um, from someone very, we think is being cold and calculating to someone who seems to have like a lot of heart and concern now back to the, cold impersonal tough lady but who is obviously having issues dealing and uh so yeah just uh you know to see her as a uh as just kind of coming apart at the seams a little bit yeah and i think that's a great place for us to start because as you said it's a free fall i mean she's spiraling out of control and she just regained control of the house from Harding, so it, it, it makes it all the more disturbing for the viewer. But that opening scene where DeWitt has Roger, a.k.a. Victor, at her, I guess, I don't know if that's her regular place or if this is like some place she has away from L.A. Yeah, I think it's kind of a place tucked away because no one knows it's you know, that she's Miss Lonely Hearts, right? Right, and and this is one last fling before his contract is up with the dollhouse. But he tells her he's in love with someone else and can't go through with it. And, of course, we know it's Sierra, and we know that it's that residual that's still in there. But, of course, she has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And she's pissed because she just assumes that someone's – figured out that she's Miss Lonely Hearts and so someone's having to go at her, you know? Well, yeah, and and what makes it even more, I guess, when I say disturbing, because we do feel for Adele DeWitt. I mean, as you alluded at the top of your discussion there, I mean, we've seen so many facets of Adele DeWitt and now it, it, it seems as if she's really lost the ability to care for her actives the way she used to because to to do that implies that she'll lose control of the house but then roger tells her that he knows she's not the kind of woman who would avail herself of a place like the dollhouse and we're thinking like dude hello dramatic irony (laughs) oh my gosh and and she's in such a bad place emotionally that you have to wonder how much of what she's been doing she's questioning at this point. Right. And she's just so like carping and biting and just so jumping down everyone's throats. And listen, I get it. Okay. We've all been there. You were totally expecting to have sex. And then all of a sudden you didn't have sex. So that sucks. Yes. But she just gets so bitter and nasty, just like, right away and then you know then she immediately goes back to the dollhouse and is ready to rip Topher's head off and yeah like spiralings as you said I think is a great word to describe it well you know the other thing I noticed when he first starts talking to her about you know why he can't 
do it at this point. And she's lying in bed and she like pulls the covers up over her almost to hide herself as if the shame maybe she's feeling for what it is she recognizes that she's actually doing, which is not putting herself out there for a real human to human relationship. And I guess on the one hand, you could say that's pretty much everybody at the dollhouse. Sure. Yeah. That you can't do human, even when you try like Ballard, right? Like he tried human to human and it didn't turn out very well. And it wasn't one, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And and you mentioned, you know, as soon as she gets back to the dollhouse, immediately she confronts Topher, assuming he did it as a joke. And of course, in classic Topher fashion, well, if it was funny, I take credit. Yeah. But you could tell, oh, it's not funny. But he still, at this point, he still doesn't get it, right? He still doesn't know, like, that, you know, the full impact. Like, he doesn't understand that Adele is Miss Lonely Hearts. Right. And, and, you know, as soon as Victor comes up after his treatment, he immediately asks for Sierra. And, and again, it just seems as if Topher seems a bit more nervous than usual, perhaps taking his cue from DeWitt's lack of composure on her end and and just i mean he certainly knows everything else that's been going on with harding and the house but even topher i think realizes the like a severity of what's going on in dewitt's life at this point well he knows even more like that's kind of i mean granted it's topher and they need him to be the comic relief and everything. But for him to be as kind of like goofy and lighthearted, I'm not saying lighthearted necessarily, but certainly goofy and funny uh, with her. I mean, he's, I'm not saying he should be. He is super pissed at Adele, right? Cause she oh, took yeah. his plans and she handed them over to Harding. So like, you know, how can you smile in front of this woman? You know, you must be so unbelievably angry with her. Yeah, but I think at this point, and one of the things that even comes across, especially at the end, is despite everything she's going through, despite the lack of control that she seems to have at this point, Adele DeWitt is a dangerous individual. Yeah, that's an understanding. And Topher recognizes that that aspect of her is still in play but i I want to ask you about the scene where adele goes into the actives shower yeah ostensibly to sober up right but is it more than that i mean we supposed to take something else you you have to think she's got her own shower right sure she's probably got a nice big bathroom attached to that big office of hers so I'm thinking there's loads of other places that she could go to get a shower. But, yeah, she purposefully, I mean, she takes off all her clothes and gets in where the the actives go. That's that's done definitely on purpose. What the purpose but, is, I'm not necessarily 100% sure on, but, there, you know, she definitely does it on purpose. Yeah, I mean, I think in another context, we might even consider that, well, she wants to experience what they're experiencing, but we know that's not it. And we, we certainly know that symbolically she's trying to wash away perhaps the guilt that she feels, uh, the doubts that she has, because she knows she's got to regain control of her mind if she's going to re- retain control of the dollhouse and the coming fight against Rossum. And 
again, she understands that Echo is an adversary at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, obviously, a lot of this episode is about Victor and he gets his release after five years. And we could ask the question to what effect. But we also learn in conjunction with Victor and his release is that Rossum has another project, Project Whisper, which, again, Mind Whisper. Don't tell tell anybody. Oh, is that what it is? Mind Whisper. Yeah. Okay. So Boyd tells Echo that Victor's going to be released the next day but she's planning to use him as part of her plan to help the dolls escape. And and I love Boyd telling her, you'll be fine. Just, you're not going to have him. He's, you know, he's released and and that's one less active you have to worry about. But the other interesting thing that comes up is that DeWitt asks Boyd to handle the release. And he even says, well, I thought you liked to do that because it gave you a sense of, completion and she says she didn't handle him coming into the house that he was assigned there right so who assigned him to the la house well i think we know somebody you know on harding's end as part of this project mind whisper right but do we also assume this is going on with actives from all of the houses probably Right. Well, it's, yeah, because where did all the other Mind Whisper guys come from, right? Right. And and he recognized some of them as guys from his unit. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume they all didn't come from his unit. But, but we learned, and we pretty much knew that, that he was at the dollhouse to rid himself of whatever demons he had as a result of his experience in the Middle East. And we learned it was in Afghanistan, PTSD. And Topher even says, knowing that I've taken that away from him makes me at least feel good about something I'm doing. So, you know, and again, we've talked many times about Topher and what it's leading up to once we get to Epitaph 1 and Epitaph 2. But, uh, you know, this is like one of his first steps, I guess. You know, I I think, uh, as I was thinking about what you were saying, I think there's the one guy maybe, like it seems like it's only the one guy he's like able to – like at the end there when the guy pulls the gun on and he says, you, like, you know me, we're in the same unit, you know, and everything. And then the guy drops the gun and then gets killed, you know. So yeah, definitely there was at least the one guy who was, you know, they were, you know, uh, soldiers together. We had a certain sense of what happened upon an act of release from the dollhouse through Melly. And here we get, I think, a bigger picture that they've got a suite at the Hyperion for him jobs if he wants to work a trust fund come in periodically for diagnostics so that they're going to take care of him and we certainly had a sense that these people were well compensated for the five years of their life but when he gets out of that van carrying his camo backpack and his duffel it was pretty sad image i think because we know this is a guy that while he doesn't have to worry about day-to-day living in terms of expenses and, and things like that, that he just has no idea. He, he's all alone. Right. Yeah, true. And even when he does go out, like he's just like looking for Sierra, right? Yeah. And, and even before he does that, he's in the suite and, and he turns on the news of the war. And, 
I guess we have to wonder, is he the same man or has he, as Topher contends, been cured? I mean, seeing images of the war doesn't set him off. So it's not as if he forgets that he was in the military, because that's, of course, not true. But what about when he can't sleep? Right. And he takes his pillows. Yeah, it goes to sleep the in the bathtub. Right? Yeah. Just some just some really powerful images. And I, I mean, certainly that bathtub is a lot fancier than my bathtub. Right. And, and I, you know, but yeah, that, I, you I, know, his bathtub looks like it actually might not be so bad of a place to to sleep in. <laughs> but um, but, you know, we, we get at the same time, like as he's selling into there, we see uh, Sierra and Echo selling into their sleeping units i guess would be the word to describe them so we're like oh yeah well he's for five years he's been sleeping in this enclosed confined space on you know basically on the floor it, it goes to reason even though he doesn't remember that that from what we've seen of of the imprinting in people's minds that you know he at some level he would prefer that right and you know how long that preference will last we, we don't know, but certainly for the foreseeable future, that's going to be, I think, the, the way he can comfortably sleep, if he can comfortably sleep. Because as I understand it, in those uh, sleeping pods, once the, the little window closed, that they, they put in some sort of a mild gas. Right, right, yeah. Uh, that's I believe that's the case as well, yeah. So... Now, of course, the next thing that happens, that SWAT team comes in, abducts him from his suite. And, you know, when Boyd goes to check it out, you know, it is right after that is when we learn that there were other soldiers like him who were sent by the military to the dollhouse because they were broken. So now we've got that connection between the military and the dollhouse. And we're thinking, how big does this conspiracy go right well i mean we've we've seen it it's they they got their fingers everywhere dude right yeah like they're they they got them straight up the the business end of the government and so like does it does it even surprise us that there's a military wing of rossum right now the other interesting thing and i'm certainly not going to say that joss whedon invented the whole concept of the hive mind because uh, i'm sure somebody else uh, you know came up with it before he has and and we've certainly seen it in a number of science fiction well, yeah, the borg right sure well uh, of course and, and fred mentions that in uh his feedback right. tonight but it's still when you see it, it, it it's still just as frightening i think as it is whenever we see it in, sure. in sci-fi this whole idea that these minds are linked and, and we act as one, you know, that, that we see and hear what each of the others sees and hear. It's, it's just, uh, it's just really frightening. But yeah, but, except that when you really see this team in practice, they are apparently much better at walking and then suddenly kneeling at the same time than they are at actually taking down an enemy because they were rather ineffective. Well, they're still training. But but the the idea that Rossum is building an army then, of course, you know, leads us to the next question, which I assume would have been explored in season three. What does Rossum need an army for? Yeah. Why do they want the technology that they can imprint anybody they want 
from anywhere at any time. But this point, the idea is we've got to rescue Victor before he gets assimilated into the group mind and we lose him for good. And and the end of the individual you know, in, in terms of soldiers. And look, you know, one of the criticisms I've had throughout the last couple of years with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is characters at first, Mac and, and lately Elena, not following orders that mm-hmm. I don't like what my superior told me to do, so I'm going to do whatever I want. No. Right, right. That, that doesn't fly. Yeah, that we was pretty bad the, the last boat, yo-yo. Like, even I got annoyed with her there. I was like, come on. Right. right. But the idea here is that we get rid of the individual. I mean, it's one of the reasons the military prefers young men and women to older men and women, because they're more likely to follow orders without question. But that whole idea that they're going to keep fighting until the objective is met, no matter what, again, we understand that these are individuals that are dispensable and that when one goes down, the next one takes his place. Next man up, if you will, to use a Brian Billick term. Right, right. Well, and, and certainly the hive mind does not deteriorate when individual members are killed, right? The hive mind right. continues, and and, uh, and and that's a scary thing. Like, you know, these guys who, you know, have no emotion, no compassion, no sympathy, no empathy, who will just be completely you know, task oriented, you know, they're, they're being given directions as, as to what to do. So someone's kind of, there's gotta be someone behind the joystick ultimately here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that I think is so great here is that you've got on the one end, this hive mind of all, all of these individuals working together. Isn't that what's really going on with echo? And then that scene where she gets loaded up with a bunch of medical and military skills to prep her for Victor's extraction, that it's almost like she's her own little hive mind there. Right. And and that she pulls out what she needs. Yeah, absolutely. Except that she is still controlled by her higher order thinking, right? Exactly. Yes. She's capable of making her own decisions and of determining right from wrong and good from bad um, because she has is in control of her own consciousness. As I guess is it, uh, Boyd says, who am I talking to now? And she's like, you're talking to Echo. You're always talking to Echo. Like, so no matter what, and, and again, this is kind of like, once again, answering a question we've been asking the last couple of weeks now is who is she? Well, once again, this is clearly... She's Echo. So Caroline might be in there someplace, but Echo is is running the ship here. Right. And, and as you said a few minutes ago, I think this is why she is able to take down these soldiers. And granted, as you, again, as you say, they're being controlled by somebody, but she's able to make decisions right here in the field, even if it's uh, taking a few seconds for whoever's got the joystick to send the orders she's quicker and and i I certainly think we see that out of her but she needs sierra who's been returned to her original personality priya who who we've certainly seen before in some flashbacks doing all of this while dewitt is passed out drunk yeah which 
I, I'm not sure whether to laugh or cry it's at a, that yeah, image of DeWitt. It, it's 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 not funny. You know, it's 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 a sad. But on the other hand, at this point, she has exhausted a lot of our sympathy. So I think rather than looking at her, like normally we might look at that with pity. I think now we just kind of like she just we we look on her passed out there with an element of disgust, you know. Like, yeah. Because she really has this kind of worn out where we don't sympathize with her at all. She's just kind of gone too far. Um and and certainly we, we, we see this spiraling and she's just drinking all the time at work and I think every from the time she returns from her Miss Lonely Hearts till the time she gets in the shower, I think she's pretty much got a drink in her hand uh in every scene that she's in. So you know, we, we see her just coming completely unglued, but, you know, we don't, yeah, that's great. You feel bad about what you're doing, but yet you're still doing it, you know, so we don't really sympathize with her. You ever think about how many jobs that we see people uh, yeah. working at on television that they think nothing of opening the desk drawer, pulling out a bottle, pouring a drink, no big deal. You don't have to hide it. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, like Mad Men, you know, they had like the the bar, the wet bar, right in their office and everything. I mean, every cop show. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway, but well, didn't you say like like when you started teaching, there were like people who would just like drink during the day or something? Did you, didn't you tell me that? No, no. Okay, no. I thought you did. No. no, no, maybe they did, but I didn't know about it. Okay, so but, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't like that. Or like these people were like, hey, let's go put down a couple shots over lunch or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, at, well, I don't know. At, I at, <laughs> at the end of this aspect of the story, when, when Priya and Anthony now are in their you know the, their own personalities, and the two of them are are fighting their way out, and they they know there's that connection that they already have. They're they're still trying to figure it out, and you know he he's like asking her questions. Maybe we should save the small talk until after the gunfight. Yeah, she tells a good him, idea. Like, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, I know Joss didn't write this script, but th- that's such a Joss line. Sure, sure. Right. Well, now, maybe he uh, stopped you know, by the office that day. It's just like, hey, have her say this. Right. <laughs> now, Echo and Ballard's plan to free the actives is obviously taking its first step. And, and Sierra doesn't really know what's happened to Victor. When Echo finds her waiting, you know, she tells her the truth and she tells her, Sierra, that is, he's not ready to be by himself. And we're thinking that she's now got this level of awareness that she really shouldn't have if you believe Topher. Right. But yet. So. Well, but exactly, but yet, so we know Echo is special. However, is this a flaw that's now emerging in Topher's technology? And I guess we have to say yes, of course. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a flaw in Topher's technology, or just the fact that you know the brain is, yeah, as we've said before, the brain is just so complex that to to say that you can map it and that you can scrub it or anything like that is just preposterous right that that the the brain is way too complex and is able to store things that Topher just can't get at and there's just certain things that are so 
you know, deep down is part of a person's personality, um, you just you can't you can't take that away. Right. I, actually, I guess I, I should have said the, the the flaw in how Topher, I guess, views his technology. Yeah, and, and that you know, I agree with. The, yeah. Right. 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 Now we see Echo, who's acquired an access card for the dollhouse and goes looking for Ballard, but he's been moved. Confronts Dewitt in her office, but of course she's drunk. Offers Echo a drink. And lets her know that, you know, I know you got the key card. Don't think I don't know everything that goes on in the house. We're thinking, you know a lot, DeWitt. You don't know everything, but I guess I was surprised that she knew she had the uh, card. Then she threatens Echo, who responds, you think I'm scared of you? I have a serial killer in my head. Yeah. Well, Again, it's what a, a classic, line. you know, retort to that is, uh, yeah, I believe he's afraid of women. Yeah. Well, and then DeWitt tells her, look, I understand Boyd keeping a secret and Ballard keeping the secret, but Topher, how the hell did he keep a secret? I, I think that's really what yeah. galls her more than, <laughs> than anything. I agree, yeah. Echo tells DeWitt that the time for playing both sides is over. You can be on my side or Rossum's. And I love her bravado, but again, as I said a little earlier, she underestimates DeWitt, and you mentioned the the end of the episode is pretty horrifying. Yeah, yeah, and she, yeah, know, she which, super underestimates DeWitt, right? Which kind of leads us into something that just gets addressed momentarily. What about Ballard? And, and we learn that he's got no brain activity. Right. To- Topher thinks he's essentially a lost cause because he doesn't have doll architecture. We don't know whether Topher ever mapped Ballard. Why would he? You know, why, you know, does he have a, a wedge with DeWitt on it? I, I doubt it. I guess you never know as a failsafe. Right. But. Um, well, we assume that he does, right? Like. Well. Yeah, they're, I, I they're a friend, right? So, like. Yeah. I guess. But it, it's starting to feel as if DeWitt just really dislikes Echo. Is it because she's a threat to her control? Yeah, I guess. I mean, is it is it just that simple? Well, we saw the conflict between Caroline and DeWitt from like like episode one, right? Sure. Um, so it could be just you know Caroline just pissed her off in the first place, and now Echo she's just completely obnoxious because you know she's like she oh it's it's like that. You know, like a like a, a really good student who knows like how smart they are and is maybe a little bit arrogant about it and everything. It's just like sometimes can be a little insufferable and, and you're almost like, you know, is that how she sees Echo? She's just Echo just seems to kind of keep winning and keep landing on her feet no matter what. And, uh, you know, and, and DeWitt's probably just had enough of it, you know. Well, well yeah. And. She blames her, but Boyd points out, you know, isn't this really Alpha's fault right. to a large extent? But I, I guess the whole idea of Echo's self-awareness and the control that she's learned to develop is, is probably just too much. And then at the end of the well, episode... Well, actually, if, if I can interrupt, because I think you just yeah, nailed sure. it right there, where you said the control, right? Because, I, I mean, I think that's, despite what I said before, I think Adele needs to be in control. And things she can't control just throw her right and she can't control echo 
and she knows it. She knows there's like basically nothing she could do except for the ultimate sanction, which she, as we see, she she ends up uh, enacting at the end of this episode. Yeah. Now it, it takes us to the end, and everything comes fast and furiously at the end. Echo injects herself with that device so that she can link into the hive. And I, I guess it's successful, you know, because she, the next thing we know, she's driving through the desert with Priya and Anthony. All of a sudden, she stops, tells them to get out and go start a life. But before anything can happen, because at this point, we think, okay, they're going to walk off into the sunset. Right. I'm not worried that they're going to die in the desert or anything sure. like that. You know, he's he's still got his military training. I think he'll they'll be fine. So she could have dropped but, him off like some like at a gas station or something. <laughs> you know, like. yeah. <laughs> but before we know it, a remote wipe takes place, and we find ourselves back at the dollhouse. Yeah. Dewitt is wearing all black, and yeah. not not in a good way. Yeah, she's Cruella Dewitt, right? Yeah, exactly. Echo's in the chair about to be sent to the attic with Sierra and Victor to follow and watching Topher really not really know what to do here. I mean, he knows that if he doesn't wipe her and send her to the attic, he could be next. Although I guess you could argue that if he, if she did that to him, then what would she do? So she, she kind of knows that she needs Topher. But still, well, so he follows- I, I, at this point, you do not want to mess with the way at all. Like you don't want to try and call her out on anything. You know, like you, you might be, you know, object to what she's telling you to do. But I feel at this point, she's perfectly capable of putting every human being she knows in the attic at this point. Yeah, I can get Bennett on a flight and be here in four hours, dude. So yeah, oh, she said, I'll just, I'll just upload you into another doll. Yeah, and they'll do exactly. it. So, like, right because we already know yeah. there is a wedge with exactly Telfers. right. It's been done. Right. Well, they yeah, they got the buys all saran wrapped up there and everything, so they're good. And we, yeah, we saw him pull Mister Dominic's personality and put it into Victor. Um, so we know the mind is still existing in some way, shape, or form. So you just got to put the two things back together. Right, and the, I doubt there was a viewer out there that after Echo is sealed in that plastic, she opens her eyes. I think none of us were surprised. No. but Horrified, at this point, yes. Surprised, no. <laughs> but at this point, is DeWitt simply buying time? I mean, does she feel with Echo out of the equation, she can take back total control of the house? Again, is it that simple? Is she not aware of Rossum's military connection, maybe she's not. No, she she knows because Rossum is the one basically who call. Well, I don't, actually, I don't know if she knows, but I suspect she knows because you know she gets the call from Rossum, basically telling her that her actives are out in the field, junking up a Rossum operation, and that's why she comes down so hard on him. Yeah, because she's got the you know the the emperor gave them the thumbs down. Um, anything else you want to bring up? You know, that whole, I, the, the, the putting in the attic process is just really, really disturbing. I mean, just really disturbing, you know? Yeah. And, and I like the way they did it in, in terms of, uh, 
keeping it till the end, of course, and then making it a fairly quick process. They didn't drag it out that the horror hits us right in the face and then there's no turning back, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So It's crazy. Well, now, I'm going A- minus this week. Yeah, I get solid A-, minus. I think. Okay, all right, that sounds good. So, yeah, like right, there, well, there was some like the whole like even though like I thought it was pretty cool, the the whole you know plot point of of Victor joining this hive mind and everything, you know, yeah, it just seemed maybe a little thrown together, I guess, a little bit, you know, like um, it was just something like you could actually make like a really really major baddie out of that, and the hive mind could be like you know a major. Uh, antagonist but they just kind of introduced it and destroyed it in like you know within you know 15 minutes of each other so yeah and i mean i guess it's a twist on the super soldier concept that we see in a lot of science fiction which is yeah i think a a valid thing for sci-fi writers to explore because we're probably not that far away from it in reality but so, all right, well, Fred checks in again with some audio feedback. So let's take a listen to what Fred has to say this week. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some dollhouse feedback. First off, when I was listening to last week's podcast and I was listening to myself, I thought, well, that season one, episode six feedback was nice. But that season two, episode eight feedback had way too much quotes in it. On top of that, My English is not so fluent, so quotes are perhaps not the best idea anyhow. I will see how I can manage this, because this week's episode, called Stop Loss, is, as usual, full of nice and funny quotes. I even get the idea, they get better and better each week. And also the episode as a whole was very, very good. I increasingly don't understand that this series didn't get a third season um so i'm very much looking forward to the rest uh, of the uh, of the season to start with a quote uh, in the beginning of the episode um uh, boyd says but he's stable physically and uh, tova answers as a zucchini which is what he is going to be the rest of his life if we see the the engagement between Victor and Adele, and we see Adele drinking, etc., we really see the demise, the deterioration uh, of the dollhouse and uh, its director with it. Again, all kinds of uh, indications towards uh, Epitaph 1. I was quite relieved at the end and uh, looking forward that Victor and Sierra, um, or Anthony and Priya, uh, would get their life back, but that was only for a few seconds. And then there was a distant uh, wipe or something like that, and they all ended up in the attic. So, not happy again. So, I don't, I, I'm really fearing that uh, this will end in a very dark uh, last few episodes. Um, okay, quote coming up. Um, uh, Adele and Tover discussing what happened to Victor. And Adele says, just make sure this doesn't happen to other actives. Uh, we can't have clients being rejected by dolls who are programmed to love them. And then Tover says, yeah, yeah, we are lucky that it happened to you. Uh, 
I liked very much when uh, Echo to control and and the big discussion with Adele. Um, I have 40 more brains than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm stronger than you. Yeah, you choose now between my side or Rossum. Um, he is she's really taking charge. And then she goes into the chair and says to Tover, load me up, we are going to war. I got a bit distracted by uh, the Rossum bunker and uh, the militaries there um, with uh, their personalities connected. It, it really distracted me because it was so much reminiscent of the Borg. Also, when you listen to the multiple voices that you hear at the same time, it's 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 really Borg-like. I liked very much how Miss DeWitt looked after her boozy adventure, and she took that shower and she came out of the that elevator elevator in that black dress. She really looked like the Wicked Witch of the West. Okay, that was all for now. Um, I think the series gets better and better. I like it more and more. Um, fortunately, I know what it's going to be, so it's it's not an adventure like Timeless or The Expanse or The Crossing. Will we get the next season? Well, for some, uh, the fans are on the barricades. Um, we will see. Okay, greetings, all the best, Fred. All right, well, if you've been a listener, you know Fred likes to bring up some of the really good quotes in each episode. He brings up some this week but look i think as fans of joss whedon we know that his dialogue and whether he wrote the episode or not as you alluded uh, a few minutes ago that maybe he walked into the writer's room i mean joss's fingerprints are always there whether it's firefly buffy or dollhouse there's always great lines and in dollhouse it's usually topher and then how can you not like the victor sierra or anthony priya i mean they're just such a sweet couple i mean yeah I mean, how how can you not like them? Now, well, that, you could that be lo- cold-hearted and evil. Well, speaking of cold-hearted and evil, not that I'm saying you know, if if you're out there, you don't like that that you're cold-hearted and evil. It's just, I mean, you might well, be I a little bit, that. but you know, like, well, but I'm making that this really, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, great segue into Fred's next point because when he brings up when he brings up that scene where Topher makes the connection that oh, you're Miss Lonely Hearts. And when he says that uh, in response to her saying, we can't have actives telling, you know, the clients they're not in love with them. And he says, well, we're lucky it happened to you. And she like looks at him like, but we know what he means. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like anything. It's like if you were the owner of a restaurant and, you know, you they give you a bowl of soup and it's terrible. Well, it's better that you got it than a customer. Yeah. 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 But but she of course doesn't take it that way. Now uh, well, you mentioned she's just earlier in such a crappy mood that you know she's she's taking everything amiss. Right, and you know he he brings up the whole idea of Dewitt after the shower looking like the Wicked Witch, and and, and Fred, I, I can't remember whether you watch Counterpart or not, but Olivia Williams is just awesome in in that show. Yeah. So if you don't watch Counterpart, Fred definitely check it out and, and any of you guys i mean if you're fans of olivia williams who plays adele dewitt yeah well uh, there's also with that that shower scene is she was just kind of like really vulnerable too like uh, yes um you know so and again it's that the you know 
that various facets of Adele DeWitt's personality that we see she can be in this one scene super vulnerable and we maybe start to feel sorry for her. In the next scene, she's horrible again and we don't. So, Regardless, great episode, great feedback, yeah, Fred. Thanks, and Fred. Uh, Yeah. So uh, we might have some scheduling conflicts, you guys, for next week. So we'll keep you posted via Twitter and Facebook about uh, you know when, when the next podcast will be but uh, hopefully we'll be able to to stay on schedule but if not we'll let you guys know so yep. that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us like to hear from you about anything going on in genre tv what you think about dollhouse encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails, as always, go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab, which you can get on the website. And we'll be back next time, whether next week or the week after, to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 10, titled appropriately, The Attic. But until then... Yeah, you know, it's just weird when they have like lines in this show. That are, uh, so, from right from my own experience, in fact... Uh, from our the, our wedding, the uh, wedding vows. You know, just remember the one point, like you know, like in the middle there. It's, I did, my wife just looked at me and said, "You leave a wake of destruction wherever you go." <laughs> <laughs>